You're like, no, Josh, we're being real. Uh, that wasn't, that's kind of a lame dad joke. All right. Well, hey, uh, we, we want to be an honest community, right? Uh, and in order to do that, I think we might need God's help. So I'm going to ask the Lord to speak to us through his word, and then we're going to just hit through a few scriptures here real quick um, and uh, then get into a little activity where we will hopefully practice some of what we preach. If you need papers, grab them, or if you are afraid of activities, run. Uh, let me pray for us. God, thank you for your presence with us this morning. Father, thank you for the ways that you welcome us, uh, even when we're a mess, uh, even when the realness is a little raw. Uh, you still love us, and you still care for us. You still welcome us to yourself. And so God, just ask that you would speak to us. Lord, help us to rest in your truth today and to uh, just take one step closer to you uh, and trust you more today. And I just ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know, it probably is not a surprise that the Bible tells us to be honest. And I almost kind of was conflicted with, should I even waste any time? Should I even spend time today talking about what the Bible has to say about honesty? Because the Bible has so much to say about honesty, and so trying to like boil it down might not be the best use of time. But I do think we could just kind of take a hop, skip, and a jump through some of the scriptures today and look at what are some of the things that the Bible has to say about honesty. Proverbs has a lot to say about honesty. A lot of Proverbs have to do with this theme of being honest and what uh, is right and wrong in terms of telling the truth to people. And so in Proverbs 12, 22, it says, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Uh, Proverbs 14, 5 says, an hon honest witness does not deceive, but a false witness pours out lies. And Proverbs 24, 26 says that an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Uh, I think that's a good thing, right? I think that's a good thing that uh, the kiss on the lips. I think the meaning there is that it's, re it's like it's refreshing. It's like, oh, that's, that's delightful. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that honesty. Thank you for telling the truth. Thank you for being a trustworthy person and not a liar. Thank you for not being detestable, but for being righteous and being true and honest. Uh, you know, we see similar exhortations in the New Testament uh, life of the church. We see uh, in the New Covenant that Jesus established, we see in early Christian communities, we see people saying things like this. This is something that Peter wrote to a church. He says, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Of course, you know, we could also reach back, we could also reach back and think about the, the top ten, as I like to call them. Uh, those, are the, those are the ten commandments. You know, Moses goes up on the hill after leading the people out of, uh, out of slavery, out of Egypt, and God is forming a new community. He's forming a new people, kind of teaching these people who have been brutalized, who've been oppressed, who've been so mistreated, whose culture has been in many ways uh, stripped from them, and God is giving them new culture and new identity. He's telling them how to live, and, and there are a lot of commandments that go along with that, and maybe like there's sort of like 10, the Decalogue uh, in Exodus 20, you know, Ten Commandments, you've probably seen that on, a, you know, on the news where somebody was having some controversy over it being in a post office or something like that. Right? But the, the Ten Commandments, you know, love the Lord your God, have no other gods before him, all these. And then right in the middle of that, verse 16, it gets to you shall not give false testimony 
against your neighbor. Uh, sometimes this is summarized as do not lie. Right? That's pretty basic, right? Yeah, top ten. And Jesus, in his exposition on the law, in, in his Sermon on the Mount, he kind of takes, takes this idea of honesty and trustworthiness a step further. He says this, he says again, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no be no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Now that's kind of extreme, right? Like it's like Jesus is kind of taking this idea of honesty and trustworthiness and saying, you know, it's even more than that. Don't even make promises that you intend to keep but don't know if you can. Don't make oaths. Don't, don't, you know, you shouldn't need to, as a person, say, well, I swear, I promise, I'll do this if, you know, it's kind of like tit for tat, like, I, I'll, I'll, you know, by the, by the hair on my head, by, by my, you know, over my, I swear over my mother's grave or something like that, right? Like, you, Jesus says, don't, don't do that. If you mean to do that, something's off. If people don't know that they can just trust that what you say is going to happen, then you're already off course. You've already, you've already, <laughs> you've already left the reservation. You should be the kind of person who has that, has such integrity that when people hear you say yes, uh, they know that you mean it. And when people hear you say no, they know that you mean it. Be a person who is internally consistent, who's honest with themselves and with others, and don't make it more complicated. Don't make it something that it doesn't need to be. Of course, you know, I think that one of the reasons, one of the main reasons that, uh, that God cares so much about honesty is this, is it really kind of goes back to some of the problems in that story of the beginning, right? If you go back all the way to Genesis 3, we have a deception that takes place, and there's a lie and an untruth and a dishonesty and a deception in the middle of the fall of humanity and the fall of all creation. Now, the serpent was more crafty than all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And I think that there is something of that spirit that is almost always at work before a disaster happens, right? Did God really say? Now, I will say that I don't think it's wrong to answer that question. And in the book of Acts, uh, it says that there was a, a group of people called the Bereans. And it says that the Bereans were more noble than the other peoples of their time because uh, when they heard the apostles come and teach and preach, they didn't just take their word for it, but they went and they searched the scriptures to find out if what they were saying was true. And so I think that there's a good, there's a good, there's a, there's a legitimate question here sometimes. Did God really say you have to vote a certain way? Okay, there's a legitimate question there. We, can, we should look at the scriptures and we should really wrestle with that and say, you know, what does God really say? That, there, there's a way that that can be a legitimate question. But the, but the being ans asking that question in this case, did God really say? 
Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? There's a way that we can, in trying to find truth, get more confused. If we, if we take everything apart, if we don't look for that authority, if we're not being honest in our questioning, if we're, if we're really expressing a lack of trust rather than seeking truth, then this question is really dangerous. Did God really say, did God really say only sex with the person you're married to? Did God really say that you should submit your money to him? Did God really say that you have to be honest and open in your relationships and confess your sins? Did God really say those things? Like those, there's, a, there's a way that we can, we can come at God with those questions that is really just a smokescreen for a lack of trust or a lack of willingness to obey or a lack of faith. And the speaker who's asking the question this time, did God really say... Uh, you know, we just should be aware, and we need to take some time to discern what is the source of that voice did God really say? Is that coming from a desire to see more truth, or is it coming from a desire to dodge what we really know to be true? And so did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat from the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. And there it is. There is the lie. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And there's always the temptation that is present in every human heart to define good and evil for ourselves to come to the scriptures or to come to church or to come to a relationship and we try to make up our own rules to kind of define our own reality to bring our own truth and say that what i've come up with is better than what we can all agree on and what is actually real and that propensity to for self-deception uh that that is what we have inherited from our parents that's what we will pass on to our children Despite our best efforts to not do that, it is the human condition to deceive ourselves and to define good and evil on our own terms rather than letting God honestly challenge us with what is really true. And that is something that everybody has to wrestle with. The scriptures teach us that there is a strong relationship between truth and trust. And as soon as we break trust, as soon as we stop trusting God, then God's truth kind of suddenly becomes murky. And I want to be honest. I want to be. I want to be. I want to clarify what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that people don't have good reasons for asking hard questions when it comes to what is really true about the church, particularly the American church, particularly the white American church at this time in our history. What is really true? about God, uh, does, does the white American church represent Jesus well? There are some really good questions to ask, and there are answers to be found, and not all of them uh, are flattering to people who are in my profession and, and to churches in general. But I think when we start to doubt God, that's where confusion can take hold. When we start to doubt 
Jesus, that's where we get confused. And what's really hard about this moment in history, and let's be honest, what's hard about every moment in human history is that the church often does a very bad job of representing Jesus well. And so it's natural when the church is not honest about who its Lord is, when the church is not faithful and trustworthy in clearly declaring the gospel of Jesus, when we adopt other truth, when we adopt things that don't come from Scripture, that don't come from the Lord, uh, well, we break trust. We break trust with God and we break trust with our community. And that broken trust leads to confusion uh, and it degrades the relationship. In the same way that degraded relationship uh, really, you know, it, it, it's like a spiral, right? Like it, it, it contributes to our confusion. And so we don't know what's real and we don't know what's going on. And we don't, we don't, we're not grounded in reality because we've lost the truth. And so truth is really important, and it's really important in a community that represents Jesus Christ to each other and to our neighbors for us to be able to be honest with each other. And that is the invitation from God today, is that we get honest with ourselves, we get honest with God, we get honest with each other, and we get honest with our community, and we live from a place of integrity and honesty. And this is why Jesus, you know, pounded that, pounded that uh, emphasis as well. He said, you know, you've got to let your yes be yes and your no be no if you're going to be part of this deal. And so, you know, another proverb that I think really speaks to me is this. It's this idea that wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You know, we see over and over again how Jesus will tell the truth to his closest followers, to, his, to the people that are closest to him, and he'll tell the truth to power in ways that have to be frustrating or aggravating or disappointing to those people. Jesus is really comfortable with conflict. And while he doesn't seek it out as sort of like maybe an, ad an adrenaline rush in the way that maybe some of us sometimes seek out conflict, he's not itching for a Facebook argument. Jesus isn't going around stirring the pot just to stir the pot, just to get in an argument with people. Jesus has greater principles, greater truth, a greater goal, a vision that is larger than himself. When he tells the truth, Jesus is nonetheless very willing to tell the truth and very willing to disappoint others, very willing to say challenging things, maybe difficult things to his disciples and to the people around him. And to, you know, invite people to, to tell them honestly what they think about him as well. We see that in Jesus' life as well. But when you, when you read this scripture, you know, something that really came to my mind as I was preparing, and I was just thinking about this, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses, and how important it is for us to build relationships of honesty with each other. I thought of an enemy multiplying kisses. It reminded me of this story of well, you know, the most famous guy who ever tried to give Jesus a kiss. You know the one I'm talking about, right? Judas? So while he, that was Jesus, was still speaking, a crowd came up. And a man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, one of Jesus' closest inner circle disciples, he was leading them 
Okay, so here Judas is walking up with the crowd to betray Jesus and arrest him. Right? This is right before Jesus gets crucified. They're, they're coming to arrest him. And he approached Jesus to kiss him. And then Jesus tells the truth. Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? If you read Matthew's retelling of the story, it says now, you know, Judas said to, the, to, said to the people in the crowd, he said, let's, uh, let's work out a signal, all right? So, you know, we'll, when, when I come up, the one I kiss, that'll be the guy that you need to arrest. Like he's going like to betray Jesus without Jesus knowing? Like we can see that Judas seems to have been a little conflicted about what he was doing here, right? It's like he wants, like he's clearly, you know, leveraging the influence of the other side, but he still wants to appear like he's friends with Jesus. He still, he doesn't want to bear the shame of having betrayed Jesus. And so he's kind of, he's doing this thing where he's sort of duplicitous. You can see he's a little, he's a little mixed up. It's like he's not thinking clearly. And Jesus calls him on it. He's like, Really, you just walked up with this crowd of people, and the way that you're going to betray me is you're going to kiss me in front of all these people, acting like you're still my friend, acting like you still believe in me, like you still follow me, like we're on the same team. Really? That's going to be the way that you do that. There's a challenge from Jesus to be who we really are, to be honest with him, be honest with ourselves. And so one of the first challenges that we really have to wrestle with, one of the things that we have to deal with if we're going to be an honest community, if we're going to be honest with each other, we as individuals, we have to, come this over, we have to overcome this challenge of self-deceit. We've got to be clear inside what we really think and what we really believe. And that takes some time. That isn't always easy to figure out. If we're honest, most of us live at an unsustainable pace. Most of us live (laughs) at a pace of life that is frenetic. That is the American culture that we swim in. Americans are busy. That's just just what we do. If you visit other parts of the world, you exist for a time or a a season in another part of the world, uh, you may find yourself... Uh, with a lot more free time than you do in America. But Americans, we are go, go, go. We're, we're uh, kind of a, a work hard, play hard, a workaholic, um, I guess probably alcoholic culture, you know, like we've, we've, got, we've got all of it, right? We're just, we're just blah, you know, everything, all the time, noise, fun, activities, stuff. And so it's easy in that kind of environment. It's actually the water we're swimming in. What's normal is that most people don't know why they're doing what they're doing an alarmingly high amount of the time. And I think maybe something that many of us experienced in this last season of kind of being forced to slow down, being forced to uh, take a step back, to, to work from home, to accomplish less, to, you know, and deal with a, a whole new set of busy, busyness, a whole new way of being busy. But, but something that I think is, can be gleaned from this time is that we've maybe been forced to reflect a little more, and that maybe some of the reflection, maybe some of the questioning that's going on is coming from a place of really trying to get honest. And I want to say yes and amen to that. It is important for disciples of Jesus to do the very impractical, very ir- seemingly irrelevant, very countercultural 
real work of reflection and listening prayer. It's important for people who are trying to lead others to Jesus and who are trying to follow Jesus themselves to take time to be like Jesus and to slow down and to practice things like solitude, to take time to listen to what is happening in our own hearts, to be honest with God about those things, to take time to really get clear on what is it that we actually believe? What is it that we actually want in our lives? And, and are we acting in accordance to those principles? Are we behaving? Are the things that we're giving our time and our energy and our money and our effort to, do those come from an honest place? Or have we been sold something? Or do those come from an honest place? Or are we acting in a way that if we were really honest with ourselves, we could identify that we don't, we don't think that we should be acting that way? This is an essential component of the Christian life that is often neglected in our culture, to take the time to really slow down and to listen to God and to be honest with God. And we've talked about a lot of different ways to do this. You can probably think of some ways to do this. If, you, if, you wanted, if, you, if I asked you to, you could probably jot down three or four ways that would help you slow down that you're already aware of, that you've done a few times in your life that have helped you get clear on things, like maybe just sitting in silence before God, maybe actually like just taking like a moment to stop, to turn off the radio, to turn off the phone, and like look at the scriptures and let that speak to you. Read through a chapter of Proverbs, read a few Psalms. Uh, maybe, maybe you want to take it to the next level. Maybe you, this doesn't have to be something that you do all alone. And I find that often when I am, uh, when I'm ex experiencing a lot of anxiety, uh, talking to someone else about it who was, is able to just listen to me and help reflect back to me what I'm saying and help ask some kind of clarifying questions to kind of help me get clear on what I really believe God is saying to me and what, what is really real. It's called spiritual direction, that experience. Um, and if that's something that you want, I'm, I'm kind of learning how to start getting into that. I can refer to you as somebody who's really trained in that. But taking some time to really just slow down and ask, what is it that I'm feeling? What, is, what do I think God is saying to me? What is, what is the Lord saying? That is really important work to get honest in that place. And we have to do that first before we'll have anything to offer. Before we have honesty to offer other people, we have to get honest with ourselves. And we have to invite God into that process. Uh, and so taking some time to reflect and to listen to God, that can really help us get clear of that challenge of self-deceit. And then the other, the other challenge that, uh, that comes up, oh, well, forgot to read this little part about Jesus. Jesus, this is just Jesus doing this, right? So news about him spread all the more, and it's news about Jesus, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses, because that's what Jesus was doing. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus prioritized getting clear and being centered and his relationship with God. He prioritized solitude over the crowds, and even over effectiveness in ministry, right? There, there was no shortage of people for Jesus to heal. 
And I think he was, Jesus was like the best at praying for healing, right? Like, I mean, there's that one story we get where he had to pray twice for the guy to, to see totally clear, which I, oh, that's the, my favorite one. That's my favorite one because uh, that lets me know that I can, that I can, I can, I can take a couple shots at it. I can take a couple swings at it before I hit one, right? Like, it's okay for me to pray and healing doesn't happen. Like, if Jesus had to pray twice, it's okay for you to pray 50 times. It's all right, right? But, like, I think Jesus was really good at healing people. That's why everybody's chasing him down. And he was willing to make people wait or to disappoint people to be alone with God and to get clear on what he was about and what God was calling him to do. And if we're going to follow him, we have to be willing to do the same. We have to be willing to be the same, right? Of course, the other main challenge, and you know, there, I'm sure there's more challenges than the, the two I'm going to bring up today, but the other challenge is social pressure, right? A lot of times when we are tempted to be less than honest with other people, it's because we want them to be happy with us and we want them to like us. And we're afraid that if we say what we really think or how we really feel, then they will, uh, then th- then they will reject us. And we we have a lot. To be fair, we all have a lot of experience that confirms this fear, right? Like we've all told someone something a little too honestly, maybe when we were children or maybe when we were younger, and we've learned from the failure feedback that we got that people don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear the honesty. They don't want to know what we really think, and they're going to react to us defensively or they're going to maybe, uh, you know, maybe quit being our friend or avoid us, right? Like, those are things that we've all learned. We've all dealt with that kind of stuff. And so there's social pressure to be nice. You know, I think there's also sometimes, and I think we've experienced a lot of this lately, there's, there's also kind of, you can experience a sort of social pressure to ostracize or to villainize people, uh, to, to treat others as though they are not redeemable, to treat a group of people, perhaps a political enemy, or someone who says, someone who has done something truly wrong, like maybe somebody legitimately sinned, they said something truly unkind and uh, not fair, and, uh, and so, uh, well, you know, did you hear what so-and-so said to Susie? Well, I, I can't believe that, and then now we're on Susie's side against that other person, right? When really they're that other person, that other person hurt Susie, but Susie got on social media, and now, and now we're all against that, that one person who did make a mistake, who did do something wrong, but now our reaction is to be the judge and to execute judgment and the punishment of, we're going to ostracize this person. Now, I want to offer this caveat here. I'm not talking about, all right, yeah, I'm not saying you shouldn't share with somebody if you've experienced real trauma. You've experienced real abuse. I'm not talking with like serious, heavy stuff. I'm talking about just like normal day-to-day conflict here, okay, right? I'm not saying, but like how we deal with those things, that matters. And so there's, we all experience social pressure to either be honest in an unkind way, and let's be honest, when we're being honest in an unkind way, a lot of times what we're doing is we're not really being honest. Right? We're, not, we're not counting the good uh, that the person brings to the relationship. We're not counting the, the many times that they've been gracious with us. We're, we're hyper-focused on the negative. Right? 
And so when we're, when we're honest in an unkind way, we're, we're actually usually being a little bit dishonest because we're not counting all the blessing that that person brings to the table. We're not recognizing all the ways that they aren't the sin that they just offended us with. And so when we fly off the handle and we're super angry and it's all or nothing, we're speaking in absolute terms, we're being quote-unquote too honest, uh, really we're not being honest enough. We're not counting the good that's in that person that's upset us. We're not counting the, the image of God that's inherent in that other person. We're not being holistically honest in our critique or our criticism of that person. Or we're just a chicken and we don't want to offend anybody. Right? And that's, that's kind of the, uh, that's the one I fall into, I feel like, more. Some of you would be like, you know, Josh, you're really harsh, you're really too, too intense. And that's okay, I, I want that feedback. But uh, experience social pressure in both of those ways. And here's the thing about social pressure. Social pressure, we have a lot less control over what other people do. In fact, we actually have we actually have zero control over what other people do, right? Social pressure is not something you fix. We can't fix that as individual people. So when I walk into a situation and I'm feeling pressure to be either not say what I really think or to, you know, just really let them have it, um, either of those ways, that, that is not something that I can, I can't fix the atmosphere. That isn't something that I have control over can't have control over the thoughts or actions of other people. The only thing I can really control is me and how I react to that social pressure. And I can either choose to be honest or not. And so this is where I think it's really important to have the courage and the wisdom and the kindness to try to do what we can to change the environment by, first of all, this is one thing that we can try. This is one, one method. We can invite critique. We can say, it's okay for you to be honest with me. We can say, I want you to tell me the ways that I'm letting you down. I want you to let me know what I'm doing that is causing you harm. I care because I know that I'm not perfect. I know that I am a sinner in need of the grace of God. I know that I'm a, a recovering you know, Enneagram number, whatever, or, uh, you know, whatever. You know, I, know, I know things about my personality. I know things about the ways that I am particularly tempted to sin. I know some of my weaknesses. And I would actually like it if you would let me know uh, how that's affecting you. If, you. if you would let me know if there are things that I can do that would help you, uh, then I would, I would value that critique. I would take your honesty seriously, and I want to hear it. If we can find the courage and the wisdom and the kindness to be secure in ourselves enough to really invite honest criticism, here's how that changes the environment. It signals to everyone else that it's okay to be honest. And if people feel like they can be honest with you, a lot of times, people are more willing, not always, and you can't control this, and you can't force this, but many times, people will feel more comfortable with you being more honest with them because they know that it's a two-way street. And when we come to Jesus, we come into a kingdom that is radically, radically egalitarian. We come into a kingdom where we all come to the same table where we are all brothers and sisters 
before God, where we are saved by a Savior in community with other people who have needs and who need to be saved by a Savior. And one way that we can practice that is by inviting each other to be honest with us. If you can invite other people to be honest with you, my guess is that eventually it might take some time to build the trust, but other people will feel like they can ask you to be honest as well. It's, 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 it feels, it's natural, it's, it's kind of the way that human nature works. And by inviting critique, what we're actually doing is we're, is we're being non-anxious, we're being not defensive. We're modeling the behavior that we hope others will, uh, that others will act, like that we'll see in other people. We, we are acting in a way that we want to be treated. Uh, because we want others to want our feedback. We want others to be open and honest with us and to invite critique. I will warn you, though, that this does take courage. It also takes wisdom, and it also takes kindness. You have to kind of resolve on the front end that if you're going to ask for feedback, if you're going to ask for critique, if you're going to be a person who's open to the honesty of others, and that you are clear about expressing that to other people, that they might tell you some things that are a little scary. They might tell you some things that are a little challenging or a little hard about yourself, and you're going to need courage to embark on that journey. You're also going to need wisdom to be able to make sense of what they're saying, because sometimes what they'll be saying is true, and sometimes what they'll be saying isn't fair, isn't, isn't honest. And so you've got to have wisdom. You've got to be able to know the difference between what's really real and what's, what's not here. And you, you need to parse that out with the Lord, and you need to process that. I would encourage you to, to trust the people, especially if you know the person well, and you ask them for honest feedback, they're probably telling you at least how they feel and that their, their feelings about you, those will be honest uh, in most cases. And then to have kindness for yourself, to be, to be kind to yourself, to, to understand that we're all on a journey, we're all growing, we all have things to learn about following Jesus and being good and righteous people, uh, and also kindness to the other person, and to be, to be open and caring to them to say, hey, uh, you know, I appreciate you telling me that, even though it was difficult for me to hear, even though that was maybe not something I expected. We need courage, wisdom, and kindness. This guy on the screen, that's Phil Strout. He's the um, former national director. I don't know when the transition, I think maybe the transition is going to happen at the national conference, but Phil Strout's been the, the national director of the Vineyard for a while now, I think maybe about 10-ish years or so. Uh, and, and one prayer that he has really encouraged others to pray and that I've uh, adopted because I've found that I need this, uh, this stuff is, is God grant me courage, wisdom, and kindness. I find that that is a prayer that is always a good one to pray. I always need more courage. I always need more wisdom, and I always need more kindness. And if we're going to invite the criticism and critique of others, we're going to need all those things. And if we're going to give critique to others, uh, we're actually going to need all those things too. If we're going to, to tell the truth, we will need all of those things. And if, we ha if we're lacking in any of one of them, uh, it will not go well. <laughs> and it will be more of that experience that we've experienced from other people having a negative reaction when we've told them the truth. Uh, we need all those things if we are going to invite critique. And so we can do what we can to change the environment of social pressure by inviting critique, and then we can also do what we can do to change the environment of social pressure by telling the truth.
And this one is just, this, is, this just takes some courage. This just takes a little bit of faith in the person that you're talking to, that they're not going to overreact, that they're going to be a person who is worthy of your trust and worthy of your honesty. That It's not going to be pearls before swine, but they're going to be uh, the kind of person who can really hear what you have to say and really offer, uh, offer some kindness to you in response. Um, but it, it doesn't get less scary. It doesn't get less easy. You, you have to kind of take a leap of faith. You kind of have to put yourself out there. You kind of have to really go for it when it comes to telling the truth. And there just isn't a way to make that totally seamless and smooth. Uh, hopefully, when you're telling the truth, you're in an environment of other people who are inviting critique where you, you kind of have already practiced that some and where there's, there's some built trust and there's some implicit trust. That does make it a little easier but you can't control that, and you can't create that as an act of your will. The, the best thing you can do if you're in a tense work environment or in a tense family or in a tense uh, other kind of social situation, you can, you can model the openness to critique that you want to see from others, and you can also give some, give some critique and some honesty as well. Okay, so uh, you guys have heard me talk for a long time this morning. I asked you to pick up some paper. Uh, and to do this thing. Um, here's what I'd like to do. I want to put this into practice. And it, I want to say also, like, if this is just too far in the deep end for you, you're not comfortable with this, it's too intimidating, whatever, uh, this is an invitation, not a command, right? So this is, this is I, would, I would like, I don't require, but I would like you to give me uh, and or this church some feedback, some honest feedback, okay? And what I want to invite you to do is to, to provide that honest feedback in two ways, okay? First, I would like you to say, what is something that uh, this church or I specifically uh, do that helps you connect with God? Like, if I've encouraged you or uh, if this church has encouraged you, I, I'm, I'm, tr I'm trying to give it either way because I know that some people won't feel comfortable giving me uh, direct feedback because you feel it might feel a little awkward. You might feel like you don't have the relationship or it's, it's a little too intense. It's a little too personal. Uh, and, and so if, if you're feeling that way, maybe just talk about the church. And maybe you're still kind of getting to know this church. And so you'd say, well, the church generally, all right? What, whatever, whatever level you want to kind of give this feedback at, uh, I would love for you to do that in a way that is m where you're really comfortable with that, Okay. And you can, you can make this as personal or as um, you can identify yourself in these. You can not identify yourself. I want this to be anonymous if you would prefer it to be anonymous. Um, but I want to ask you to tell me what's one thing I do or what's one thing that the church does that helps you connect with God. And it's great if you can talk about this church, but if you want to talk about the church more generally, you can talk about the church more generally. What's one thing that we do that helps? one thing that we do that helps you connect with God. And then what I'd also invite you to do is to say, what's one thing that I, and that's me, Josh, personally, and if that's too intense, you can say the church generally, right? What's one thing that I do that does not help you connect with God? Okay, what's one thing that I do that maybe feels awkward or bad 
terrible or just is not helpful. It's confusing or it's not good, okay? And to try to make this a little less weird, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to walk out of this room for a few minutes. <laughs> I'm going to ask these guys to play some music if you need to. Uh, when you're done, if you would, write it down. And if you want to share that with me, uh, I want you to write it down. I want you to bring it up. Just set it on the table here. I'm going to step out of the room for about four minutes so you really have some time to think and to write something down. And then I'm going to read them uh, <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if, you wanna, if you want me to read it. Now, if you don't want me to read it but you still want me to have it, you can drop it in the offering box. But if you want me to read it, uh, put it up here, okay? I'm going to read it out loud. I'm going to read it out loud if, if you want that. So, huh? Today. Today, like right now. So, uh, hopefully only a few more minutes. So, take four or five minutes. <laughs> 